flipping to Genesis 12 and where we meet Abram, uh, I want to just recap where we have been. Chapter 1 of Genesis lets us know that God created and it was very good. Genesis 2, we understand that he created so that we, his culmination of creation, his prized possession, can thrive in the world that he created for us. Everything we needed not only to survive, but to enjoy his goodness was available to us. But in Genesis 3, we were greedy, weren't we? Reaching for what was not ours and losing what was. We reached for godhood because we're discontent with what he has given us. And so as Adam and Eve eat of the apple, choosing to be God rather than trust God, it then has ramifications that leave them covered and hidden, right? But it goes on beyond them because their sin now has created a brokenness and a divide between God and his people. And we see how sin overtakes even their children immediately, right? Cain, chapter 4, kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. And it only gets worse from there. Genesis 6, it says, before God chooses Moses, I mean Noah, excuse me, it says this, it says, Every intention of man was only evil continually. I don't know how, how worse it could come off. Every intention of man was only evil continually. So then God chooses Noah. He says, build a boat. It's going to house your family. It's going to house two of every animal. Because I am destroying every other living thing on this world because it has gotten so awful. God grieves the choices that man and woman have made and punishes them. We continue on, and in chapter 8, God allows the waters to subside, and the boat lands, and Noah steps off, and you think, okay, God has reset. He has rid himself of all the terrible people. We've got this godly man, Noah. Of course, everything's going to go well, but then... Before we even take a breath, Noah is seen getting drunk, and then somehow with his nakedness is exposed, his son sees it, and we can only assume that then he goes and runs and tells his family business and all that's going on, and what we see is the downward spiral of sin continuing. We get to chapter 11, and we begin to build these towers. Men and women, again, reaching for Godhood, say, if we can build a tower that reach a heaven, how we don't even need God anymore. We're going to make our name great. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Everybody will remember us. And God sees that they're trying to replace him again. So he confuses their project by changing their languages. And it all ceases. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. And in many ways, Genesis chapter 12 is the story we all want. God calls Abram. If anybody is confused, Abram is the same guy that's going to be Abraham, okay, that you sang of, Father Abraham and his many sons. All the same guy, just making sure we're all on the same page. Abram is called by God. And don't we all want that special, direct, vocalized call of God telling us exactly what we are supposed to do and that he has a plan for us and how we are to live? Well, we talk about calling a lot. This mysterious and extremely rare instance of God calling a person, but we believe that we're the one in a billion. Just like we buy lottery tickets thinking we're going to win. 
we assume because we have read these 10 call stories throughout history that we are going to be one of those called because we're never just a random Ravenclaw eating at the table. We're Harry Potter, right? Like the story is about us. But, but what we understand is that that is not it. That we probably will not receive a vocalized, direct call laying out exactly what we are supposed to do. But it doesn't mean that I don't think God is calling us still to live for him and to live in a way that brings glory to his name. We're going to get there. But let's get to Genesis 12 first. Let's see how Abram is called. Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. It's on the screen uh, if you're reading along. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house. Go to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're going to stop there for today. The story starts by God initiating a conversation that will turn into a relationship. All we know about Abram is that his dad is named Terah, that he is ten generations removed from Noah, and we will come to find out in chapter 11, verse 30, that his wife is barren. We don't really know much of this man. What we do know is that God chooses Abram, not because he was faithful and godly necessarily, like it said of Noah, but simply put, because God picked him. Out of all the people, Abram is chosen. And the first words of God are huge. Go. Leave your country. For you, that'd be Texas. Leave your kindred. Everyone you know. Leave your father's house. Your family behind. He's going to take his wife and a few wives, nephew, there. Leave everything and everyone that you have grown accustomed to and comfortable with. We don't need to diminish the call on Abram just because we know the rewards that he is getting. Nor do we need to diminish the call of Abram as that's an Old Testament call. Jesus doesn't use the word go. What does he say? Follow me. He says, follow me wherever I go. Follow me and leave behind your family. Follow me and go and make be fishers of men. Journey with me. I don't give beds away. I don't have, you're going to miss out on family milestones. You're going to have to forsake all that you've ever known. But will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you journey with me? Will you go where I go? Abram is called the same way. Go from everything and everyone you've known and go to a land. What does it say? A land that I will show you. This is a nameless, a faceless land, a land that you're not given any details of. You don't know if it's a mega metropolis or if it is going to be a rural plot. You don't know if the people that live in that land are going to like you or if they look like you. You don't know if they believe like you do or if they're going to be hostile to what you believe. He says, go. You don't know if it is five miles or 5,000 miles. Simply put, you are called to go. God is saying to Abram, 
Start walking and keep trusting. Start walking and keep trusting. As as you ask for and desire God to give you a call on your life, are you okay with that being the call? Start walking and keep trusting me. Just go. I'll lead you. I'll take care of you. But I just want you to start going. I'll give you details as you need them, but I'm giving you the direction now. He does give him some promises, some hope. The first piece of hope that we get is you're going to get a land. You'll, you'll receive a land, a place for you to settle, a place that will be home. We will come to find out that this is the promised land. It's a land flowing of milk and honey, but that's a little further in the story yet. So you're going to have a land. What else are you going to have? You're going to be a nation. I told you, uh, Abram and his wife, Sarah, are barren, right? They cannot have a child. They are promised the thing that they've probably given up hoping of. Because a nation must start with an heir. It must start with a lineage. And so here, 75-year-old Nathan, I mean Nathan, 75-year-old Abram is given hope that answers one of his biggest desires. Will you trust me is what God is calling him to. Not only is he given a land and given a nation, he is told that you will have a reputation. Your name will be made great. People will see you and esteem you. People will respect you. Even though you're a foreigner, you will be valued. God promises protection. I will protect you. I will bless your allies, curse your enemies. I will take care of you on what I am calling you to do. Now, Abram will die, okay? So it's not protection from death. But while he is journeying with God and following the call that God has placed on his life, he is protected. Finally, you're going to have a purpose. Your life's going to matter. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. You're going to change the world. That's the part of the call that we desire, right? That we matter. That something happens because we live. That, God, you're calling us to something good and great. Look at verse 4, the first three words. So Abram went. He didn't know the destination, but he knew the direction. He knew also his God. He knew who was leading him. That allowed him to go. Do you take steps of faith because you trust the God that's in control? Many of you sit in this room and you go, well, it'd be so easy if I was Abram to just go. I mean, he's promised those five things. I would take purpose and protection and a reputation and Family and land, that all sounds good. But I think you're overlooking the cost of what that took. Many of us say, oh yeah, if God would just give me a great purpose, for sure I would do this. But are you really, once you get comfortable, once you're secure, once you're happy, once you're safe, are you willing to then uproot your life and risk it all? Are you really, really, are you really willing to step out? I mean, you're, you're going, oh, I'm already this deep into a major. I can't change it. I don't care, God. Well, I'm just going to discount that you're calling me to do that. I'm this far, and I've got a job lined up. So what if I feel this burden for unreached people groups? I got a job in Dallas. 
It's safe. It's comfortable. It's good. How can I step away from a salary to go to try to share? No. It must not be me. It's easy for us to go, well, if we were Abram, we would do this, but we need the same faith because I truly believe that God is calling many in this church and in his church to go. But you know what? We're too busy reading and studying the word of God than listening to the voice of God. We're so busy in Bible studies having to know more. I need the Hebrew definition of this. Instead of listening to the call of God that says, hey, just go. We are probably a little arrogant in saying, well, if I could have a vocalized or a burning bush or if an angel of the Lord at least would show up and tell me a moment that I can just trust, a moment that I can hold to, well, then, God, I would do what you call me to do. But we need faith, not always patience. So God shows up to Abraham, initiates a relationship, calls him to leave everything he's known. He's going to promise him a few things for the journey, but really it requires faith. And you know what he does? So Abram went. What do we learn from Genesis 12 and what can we do with this story? The first thing that we learn is this. God chooses. That may be a hard sentence for some of you to write down. Others of you are underlining it and showing friends and say, I told you I'm right. Let me step it further. God elects Abram out of all the people of the world to be the person in which he is starting a nation from. God has chosen Abram in an exercise of his freedom to be the father of his people and the father of Israel. Out of nothing but just an ordinary man is all we see. God has chosen him because God chooses to show his grace to sinful humanity and it starts with Abram. He blesses him. It doesn't mean he's cursing other people. No, he just chooses to bless Abram because God can bless whoever he wants to bless. And God desires to bless him. He didn't deserve it or earn it. If if, if Abram was not done like this, we would just continue to just be building more and more towers. We'd find people that speak our language. We'd build another tower. We'd try to reach Godhood some other way. But God chooses Abram because he is stepping into sinful humanity and setting forth a plan to redeem his people. But before you get too worried about me, some of you, we also see that Abram responds. There's a balance between divine election and human obedience and responsibility. We cannot, not, we cannot divorce the two. Only through God's choice and only by the steps of faith of Abram are the promises pronounced experienced in reality. Only because he goes and only because God chooses does any of this happen. Divine election without human response leaves Abram in Haran with his family. But God chooses, his spirit works, and we live out in faith. Third thing we see from this story is that God has a plan. In fact, he's always had a plan. His plan wasn't thwarted by Adam and Eve's greed for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. His plan wasn't thwarted by the, their every intention was only evil continually. His plan wasn't thwarted when he had to give different languages because they started building a tower. No, his plan has always been 
to select this one man to create his one nation that would be a light to all the other nations, to bring all the other nations into a relationship with him. But we also know, I can't get there yet, we'll get there in a second, hang on. But God's plan also uses people, okay? We've got to get to point, point four. God's plan uses people. One man and one woman's choice changed humanity forever, broke relationship with one another and broke relationship with God. Through one man, God is choosing to create a nation that will be that light to all the nations. This one family will affect all the families of the world. But what we also have to remember is this. Abram is just a teaser for what God is really going to do when we get to the Second Testament, right? Abram is just setting us up that God, through one man, can bring about hope for a whole people. But through one man, when God sends his son to be the son of man, that will be the salvation for all men, that will be hope for every nation, that will be a light to the, all the world, we understand that God is working through people to bring others to his relationship and to his salvation. One man will be a payment for all sins. One man will be the cornerstone to which we all hold. One man will be our salvation. Abram is giving us a taste of this real one one day. Finally, we must respond in faith. Faith to go to a new land, even if we don't know the details. The land that I'll show you. Faith that you'll be a nation even though you don't have a kid. Where we need to read in that, the impossible can be done. Faith that we can have a reputation even though we're an outsider, and that God will use and speak through us. Faith that we will be protected when we are doing what God is calling us to do, even when it's on dangerous soil. Faith that we will bless, that we can be a blessing to all nations, even if we're just one man. Genesis 15. I don't have it on the screen, or I do have it on the screen. Excuse me. Ten years into this journey, Abraham has seen the blessing of God. His cattle and livestock has grown tremendously. He has seen the protection of God. He has had to endure famine, and he has had to go into different cities worried that he was going to be uh, murdered, but he has been protected completely. But he's still wondering, God, why haven't you provided that son? Well, why haven't you answered that big promise that we've been hoping for? We're 10 years in, God. We're only getting older. He says, Abram, surely you will have a son that will be your heir. And then he says in verse 5, hey, step outside for a second. I want you to look up into the heavens. Look up at the sky, at the night sky. Start counting the stars if you're able to. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And this is the crux, verse 6, of Abram's story. Paul will pick up on this in Romans. Uh, think either Galatians or James will bring it up again. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. His faith is what made him righteous. For us, our faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone is what makes us able to stand before the throne of God boldly and confidently. It's all about faith. Faith that God can do what we cannot. Faith in a God we cannot see, but we surely can trust. Faith in the impossible, the unpredictable, the incomprehensible. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
And that's the only reason that then he was willing to initiate this new covenant ceremony of circumcision. You don't do that by choice. You do that by faith. Faith is the only reason that he got his prized son and walked him up a mountain and raised a knife over his throat to cut him up. Because he believed and he trusted that God can be trusted. So how does this whole thing fit within the whole story of God? It's one of those stories, if we're not careful, we'll mishandle. We long to be called. We want that special call of God on our life. We want him to speak vocally and tell us who to marry, what job to take, what to major in, what university to choose, what master program to go to, where to live. We want him to speak and answer all these questions so that we never have to step out on faith. We don't want to have faith. We want to have answers. We long for that. And we truly believe that if God would just speak to us, surely we would do this. Surely we would respond and be obedient. Wrong. How many people did Jesus say, follow me and say, no. The world's more valuable. What I have, what I've made, what I love, what is safe, what is secure, I choose. So why do we think so arrogantly that we, if we were just given a specific call, we would follow? I don't really know because we struggle to follow the universal call of God for all Christians. See, God has been calling us to go and make disciples very clearly. Are we doing that? God has called us all to go and be fishers of men. God has called us all to go to the least, the last, and the lost. God has called us all to be sent in how we live, incarnational, intentional, on purpose. Are we doing that every day? Well, then why would he send us somewhere else? God is calling us to go where he leads, and yet here we are saying, God, I need you to fit within my comfort zone of location. God is calling us to trust in his goodness, and yet we're saying, I need you to prove yourself before I step out in faith. God is calling us to live for all the families of the world in everything that we do, and yet all we care about is our own family and our own self. God is calling us to have a reputation that is so great that even the pagans will see our good works and give glory to him, and yet our lives are indistinguishable from the life of those who do not know him. God is calling us to leverage our life for the sake of Christ, and yet all we do is leverage for our selfish gains. God is calling us to work hard for the Lord, and yet all we do is just enough to get by, to get the grade, to get the job, to get the paycheck, to get the wife. That's all we are doing is just enough. If we're not going to do the universal call on all Christians, why in the world will he call us to something great or something specific? Students, we want our life to matter. We want to live on purpose, but maybe we need to start living for God first. If we're not going to live out the universal call, why would he pick us for something great? Why would he give us a special role, a special purpose? We've got to stop assuming we're the star and be content with being an extra on the set. J.D. Greer discussed this in his book I was reading this week. He said, you know, most churches in the New Testament were started by people you and I have no clue who they are. The, the writers of the Bible don't even mention their names half the time because it's not going to do us any good just to know some other dude's name starts with a P. But how prideful are we to demand that we need purpose and we need others to see it? That for our life to matter, it means that others think that we matter. 
Are we content being a them, being a member of the church of Ephesus, or do we have to have the church of Ephesus named after us? Nameless, faceless, anonymous people are who spread the gospel and turned it into a world religion in 200 years. Are we okay being nameless and faceless? If not, then you just need to go hang out with the rich young ruler or the rich fool. Eat, drink, be merry. Live your life how you want, but see, if we can humble ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to start walking and keep trusting, I think God will do some great things to you and you through it. Last thing I want to bring up. I taught this a few years ago. It's what I was challenged by is this idea of the forgotten question. See, you're going to pray about who to marry, hopefully, okay? I hope so. Please do, okay? Please do. You're going to pray about what job to take or what major to choose, okay? Once again, I hope so. Please do. How many of you are going to pray about where you're to live? How many of you have ever considered that where you live can be just as intentional as what you do? How many of you have even opened that door to God and say, yeah, I'm willing to go? Because God may desire some of you in this room to leave your country, to leave your kindred, and to leave your family, and to go to a land that he will show you. If God desires all families of the world to be blessed and to come to an understanding of who he is and his love for them, don't you think he may want to use some of us to go to them? Is God calling you to maybe work outside and, and to live outside of the United States? That might be a full-time missionary, but it's probably going to be as an engineer or an ag economist or a teacher or a financial advisor. Have you answered for God in that question already? Or maybe have you answered before God was able to speak? Finally, J.D. Greer had this. It was really good for me to read. He said, there's a lot of countries closed to Christianity. We know that, right? A lot of Muslim countries, Middle East, you're just not able to go in there. He said, but you know what? I don't know of a single country closed to business. So maybe it's not the full-time missionary that can infiltrate, but maybe it is the civil engineer. Maybe it's the petroleum engineer that can go and because they work so hard and so well that they are giving a platform and a voice to speak into people that have never heard the gospel. And so, yeah, they're sharing their expertise, but they're also sharing what's changed their life. Could God be opening doors and creating opportunities if you will work and serve him as what he is calling you to do? Maybe there's a bigger picture for you than just a six-figure salary and a picket fence and a two-story house and two-and-a-half children. Maybe. God called Abram to go, to trust, to be in relationship with him. You want a calling? Here it is. Go where he leads you. You want a calling? Trust him. Stop settling for what you can achieve. You want a calling? Be in relationship with God. Abide in Him. The question is not if you're called, but it's where and how, because God wants to use you. Let me pray. Band, you guys come on up. We're going to sing that Canvas and Clay song one more time because 
it's really good and we need to know it because it is a, it's really a heart song for us through this semester. But I want you to bow your heads and I just want us to sit for a moment. Consider how you are handling God's universal call. Are you listening to God? Or are you so focused and so busy and so intent on what you have in plan that he's been calling you to go, but you've said, God, I got a Bible study to attend. Maybe we've been silencing his voice because we think we're doing good things. Is God calling you to go? Is there a stirring within you that it's terrifying? That, yeah, but I always thought that, but I never wanted to say it out loud. That's how I was with ministry. Am I qualified? No. Am I able to do it on my own? No. Am I worthy of this? No. Are there people better than me? Yeah. But God, if you're going to call me, I'm going to trust you. Trust you to, to work through me and to do the impossible, the incomprehensible. Could he be calling you to do something for his glory and for his good? I, I think absolutely. If you have surrendered your life to him, I have no doubt that he has a purpose for you. And he has a calling for you. Will you start walking in trust? Lord, break through the barriers that we have put up. Soften the hearts of parents and friends and ourselves as we worry how we will respond. Lord, give us the courage to step out in faith, to go, to leave behind everything and to trust in your goodness and your grace.